0: Hey there, welcome to the sixth and final episode of the fourth season of Science and Society. I'm Drew, a med student in CrossFit junkie,
1: And I'm Liv, a retired beauty queen and biochemistry PhD candidate. We're two nerds on a mission to break down the science around us so you can apply it in your life.
0: This month, we're bringing on life sciences entrepreneur, Jamie Shaw.
1: Her family's company, Chemimpex, is a chemical supplier that prioritizes community alongside with quality.
0: Let's get after it.
1: Jamie Shaw operates her family's business, Chemimpex, a distributor and manufacturer of high-purity laboratory chemicals. Prior to Chemimpex, she was COO of the Spice House and has prior experience at Hyde Park Angels and Hyde Park Venture Partners, Goldman Sachs, and Google Maps. Jamie is also an adjunct professor at the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business and serves as a Polsky Center Entrepreneur-in-Residence. She earned a dual degree from the University of Wisconsin Madison in finance, investments, and banking, and Spanish literature and language, and an MBA from Chicago Booth. In 2023, Jamie was selected as one of Family Business Magazine's Transformational Women in Business. Jamie, what a bio! Welcome to the show.
2: Well, that was such a warm welcome. Um, sometimes it's embarrassing to hear like your life story in in like you know bits and pieces, but I appreciate the warm welcome.
1: Well, we're so excited to have you. And speaking of life story, the kind of origin story of of the company that you work with, ChemInpex, is actually quite an inspirational one. Can you kind of share that story um, from your perspective?
2: Yeah, you know, I will say when people think laboratory chemical company, they're usually thinking something very sterile. And they're so used to working with such large organizations that when they hear our family's story, it can feel like such a difference. Um, And it can feel really refreshing because of that. So my family story is my dad, um, he is an immigrant to the United States, he immigrated here in 1975. And he came here because his father started a chemical company in India. And my mom's father started a chemical company in India. And um, my dad was a PhD chemist at the University of Bombay. And they both got their visa to come to America. And he said, um, I'm just going to ditch this candidate a PhD and, and come to America and, and see what, what could happen. And he started working for Sigma Aldrich, which is a company that a lot of folks know in the laboratory chemical space. And he really recognized just the challenges that people had when it came to finding the product they needed to do their best work. Particularly when you're at a large company, it's really tough to find the right person to advocate for you. So I think he felt like there was an opportunity to just serve customers better. So he quit his job and the day he quit his job um, and he told my mom, he quit his job. She also said, I'm pregnant with our first child. So this is <laughs> when they have like, literally had nothing We're at like rock bottom, they were like filing their taxes under the um, poverty line, living in Wisconsin, didn't have any friends or family. And he had decided he was going to start his own business out of the basement of our house, no less a chemical company out of the basement of our house. And I sometimes ask him, like, like, how did you do that? You literally had nothing. Like, how did you do that? And he said, I did it because I had nothing. I had nothing to lose. And that gave me the opportunity to risk it all because there was nothing left to risk. And I thought, you know, as someone who, you know, has worked in so many different places and had different experiences, I'm always, I can feel afraid to take a chance. And I just loved his perspective of, you know, there's always something to lose. And the earlier you start something, the less you have to lose. Um, So we started the company out of the basement of our house, or by we, I mean my dad. um, Mm -hmm. And it had grown over the now 40 years where we are the preferred supplier of many universities and pharmaceutical companies across the world. And most times when people talk to us um, and have meetings with us, it's like, our customers are our friends. Like they welcome us with open arms and they're always saying like, oh my gosh, where have you been? And, you know, we had a meeting with Pfizer and, um, one of the procurement managers, like literally when we walk through the door, she like just walks up to us and gives us a big hug. And that's not the typical relationship you have with your procurement, um, supply your, you know, you're the company that's supplying your chemicals, but that's what we really love to do. And that's, what has grown our family and like this is the reason why our family business exists is to serve our customers who are doing groundbreaking work i mean i've heard it on your podcast just the amount of research that's out there in so many different places and in a variety of different ways we get to be a little part of that and we get to help them on their quest to do something amazing that was a long story.
1: But a great one. And I I think it's awesome and really pretty incredible how your dad was able to take a situation that many would kind of see with a negative lens that, you know, you have nothing and kind of frame it as I have nothing to lose. So like, why not? Why not do it?
2: Yeah, Um, it's was so inspiring. And I think it's so easy to feel like, oh, but I just need to do the next thing. I need to do the next thing. And I'll just take the safe route. But you don't realize actually how much you're hurting yourself. By not actually doing the right thing for you at the right time.
1: Absolutely. And I imagine that growing up with parents with that mindset and that drive definitely had a pretty big impact on your own life and your own personality. So how did growing up in such an entrepreneurially minded family and this kind of small business family environment shape your upbringing? What was that like for you?
2: You know, it's really funny because growing up, you know, I tell my students the story that growing up, we, whenever we were going somewhere in the car and we were like driving down main street, my dad would just like point out the different businesses that he thought was going to go out of business. Like that was like the topic of conversation in the car. So growing up, we'd be like, no, but that business, they have a lot of people come through the door. So they must be making X amount of money. Or like we'd be at a restaurant and we'd be talking about, you know, what are the prices on the menu and how much is the average dollar value of each order? And will this company, you know, will this restaurant exist? and. I like look back on that and like that was a really weird thing for a 5-year-old to be doing to be thinking about <laughs> like what's the revenue of this company like what like how sustainable is this business like that's not usually what people talk about but because it was so true to who we were and I think this happens to a lot of people in family business you're so familiar with your own life that it just doesn't seem weird like you just don't know what another world is like that you sometimes take for granted the thing that's in front of your face Which is why I think I had this career path that involved doing so many different things before I decided to join my family business. And I think that served me in the end. But it was because I didn't know that the thing that I was looking for was in front of my face the whole time. Um, And I think it's kind of like that love story of like the boy next door. It's like, oh, that person was there all along and I didn't even realize. And you you think like, how could someone not have recognized that? But um, you're just so familiar with your own story that it's hard to even think that it's different. So I don't I I kind of didn't answer your question um, because I don't feel like I grew up in any different of a family. Like we just always had this mindset of like, how do we do more and how do we solve problems and how do we be resourceful and get the most out of what we can? But I don't think of those as like things that are different from what other families are doing. But I just don't have that context.
0: No, i I think that you actually did answer our question I mean in the way that you bounced around and did different things before coming back you know landing at home with your like family your family business I think that like on that it's like an entrepreneurial mindset almost it's like try these different things on for size yeah. see what fits and before coming back whether it's the experiences that you gained that helped you know that will end up helping your family business or maybe you tried them all on and decided this just simply wasn't for you i I think that that in that story, you definitely showed how that has influenced. Um, that- yeah,
2: I think when you like, you know, Steve Jobs, says, like, great. Right, when right, you look back, you can connect all the dots. And I think that that is so true of like, it all makes sense now. But in the moment, I really do feel like I was just searching for the right thing. And to your point, Drew, I was like, I was trying all the things on and nothing felt like me. Nothing felt like I was in my own skin until I came literally home, like until I came to my family business. And I think. When anybody finds that job where they feel like it's not a job anymore, like I'm doing the thing that I love doing, that's when you feel like, oh, I'm at home. And it took me um, quite a lot of different experiences to way find my way here.
0: Yeah, and we hear that narrative so often in popular culture of like, my job stinks, I hate this, I hate that. So it's, it's when we hear these stories of people whose jobs don't feel like jobs anymore it's like refreshing and it it feels like a blessing to to have that um that like situation in your life i mean Um, one of the
2: things we say as a family is like we're the luckiest people in the world so we have this family meeting for our business and we say that it goes two ways one like we're so fortunate to have this business particularly a business that serves other people and that we feel like allows us to be part of change And at the same time, we mean, when we say we're the luckiest people in the world, that we're not doing anybody any favors. Like it is a choice for us to show up to this job and take on this responsibility, whether we're upset about something that happened at home or upset about something that happened at work. Like nobody's doing anybody any favors. This is not an obligation. This is your choice, your decision to decide to become, you know, show up as your best self to work. And I think that's, that's true of any job. Like, You should in any job that you have, like, how do you come to it with this perspective of I'm the luckiest person in the world to have this job? Like, how fortunate am I to solve this problem? How fortunate am I to, you know, be in this room with all these really intelligent people? And I think it's really easy to forget that and to lose perspective of that when we're just so focused on, you know, I just feel like I'm doing this out of duty or obligation or because I'm trying to get to the next thing. Um, so I think it's very true in family business, but also very true in, in all, you know, personal, you know, work experiences.
0: Absolutely. And I think that transitions really well into our like guests getting into the discussion of Kem and Pex itself, the fact that it's a family run business and how does that, the, the family run nature of it and your relative size influence your business model and decision-making process and differentiate you from maybe a, a larger supplier?
2: Yeah. Um, I'm going to invoke some University of Chicago, just like um, econ 101 stuff. But I think the best thing about our size is that we've eliminated the principal agent problem. Like the larger the business you have, the more you need to have more agents. And by having more agents, you have less control of getting having the best quality of making sure that everything is done with um. The way that you as an owner would do it. And I think by keeping our business small, we're really able to control over the experience our customer has. And we're able to be flexible and nimble. And we're not like steering this giant ship in order to um, ship out, you know, in order to qualify a vendor or something like that. It's, I actually think being small is our competitive advantage. And sometimes people can think that's very unconventional, like, oh, why do you purposely want to kind of choose to make, you know, to be consciously choosing to be small, as someone would say. And and people say, sometimes say small in like a negative way. But I actually think it's the thing that allows our customers to get what they want as fast as possible, um, to have, have that personal relationship, to be able to, you know, a lot of customers have a need for a lot of quality documentation, and a lot of companies are just not willing to do that. It's not worth their time. I think, particular in university research, your lab might be pretty small, and your total spend might be maybe your grant is for like a million dollars or something like that. That is not a big deal to a large farmer or a large um, distribution company like Sigma Aldrich, Thermo Fisher, Vitavir, They don't really care about that number of that dollar amount of spend. But that's a significant amount to a small business, and that means that we're going to go the extra mile to get what you need in a timely fashion and make you feel special about it. Um, So I, I hope that answers the question of like, how does being small actually work to our advantage, but more than anything, like work to the customer's advantage?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It kind of sounds like you're able to take something that's a very impersonal relationship most of the time and kind of turn it into something that feels a lot more connected and feels a lot more personal and I'm sure that you have had the experience of working with some really exciting customers and being able to form some really cool relationships um, with, you know, with as much that you're able to share, um, you know, as being part of the business, what has been a highlight of your time with Kevin Pex and, and what were some of those relationships that you've been able to form? And um, if you could share like a cool story or just something that you find a particularly um, just like a highlight of, of that experience.
2: Yeah. Well, I do want to first touch upon something that you'd mentioned first was you know, it's you almost have like oh, it's interesting that you're able to have these experiences just in general, and that you're able to create these connections. And that's one of the things I think is really surprising in science, in this field in particular, is that it is so sterile and like the, it is very impersonal. And for some reason, I don't know why, but people in our industry feel like scientists are not like regular people and like don't deserve <laughs> great branding, great service. You know, like they don't deserve to feel like, like luxury. And I don't know why that is. Like if you look at a lot of the websites, like really ugly, you try to like call someone on the phone. <laughs> it's like very normal to not get an answer. It's like very like stone age style of um, just treating a friend. Like, I don't understand like why you people don't have the sense of personality when it comes to this industry. So I would say, you know, keeping that lens in mind, I think. A lot of the customers we have are doing just so many different things. And that's one of the things that I think is the most unique is like, I might talk to one customer who's doing like psilocybin research and trying to find a non hallucinogenic way to, you know, create an antidepressant. And then the next day I might be talking to somebody who's trying to create a protein that will make hair strands more strong. So that way you have less hair breakage. Then I have another person who's working on, you know, lithium batteries. And all of these things are such different problems. And I think the thing that I go home with every single day is we get to advance all of those things all at once. So, you know, one of the challenges in research is that you're saying no to a lot of things and you're making like one singular problem, your problem. And I get to make like a lot of problems, my problems, which is a good thing and a bad thing. For me, I'm a problem solver. I like I eat problems for breakfast. I love just the idea of finding a solution for somebody and like removing a roadblock. so I just, I love that I get to be part of that journey and like whatever way that it is.
1: I love that phrase that you eat problems for breakfast. I will be stealing that at some point. <laughs>
2: um, I mean that like what, when I think about my core value, like the reason why I am in this job and would do any job and why this job doesn't feel like a job is because I love solving problems. Like I just love finding elegant solutions and ways to just really delight somebody. And I think Yeah, I just feel like fixing things is just like my part of my core being. And once I figured that out about myself, a lot of other things in my life, in my career started to fall into place. So I do think that there's a lot of value kind of drew to your earlier point of like, how do you feel like you're not just in a job because you need to do the job? It's like once you really understand what it is that gets you up in the morning, like what that core value is, I think it clarifies a lot.
1: I really do resonate also with what you said about how as a researcher, Um, you're oftentimes kind of head down into a particular area of research. And oftentimes, like PhD students, for example, oftentimes are really spending five or six years solving one or two problems or solving one or two questions. So it is really, uh, I love that you're able to kind of experience so many different facets of science. I think that's a really exciting place to be in. And, you know, the world needs people who are really, you know, bunkered down and doing that one, you know, fixing that one problem. But it is really cool that there's people on the other side of things where, um you play a role in, in you know many, many problems all at yeah. once. And I'm okay. sure that also yeah. does come um oh sorry, go ahead.
2: No, go ahead, go ahead.
1: Uh I'm I'm sure that comes with some challenges too though in your line of work because you are sort of, you know, interfacing with a lot of different um, you know, people and problems. So kind of on the flip side of the question I asked earlier, what has been a challenge for you, and maybe not just for Chem Impact specifically, but um, what has been a challenge in the industry you're working in, kind of just in chemical supply in general? Um, And how did you, you know, how did you navigate and overcome that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I will say, um, going back to just one point you said about like, oh, there are a lot of problems you're solving, and sometimes, you know, that could be a challenge. I actually think it works for our advantage, because So many different customers are at different life cycles of their research whether it's you know early stage or commercialization or like clinical trial you know somewhere in between like all these things it's like because we have so many different customers are at all these different stages of the pipeline um it actually makes it feel like i'm i'm being more productive because i don't have to kind of wait for a lot of the roadblocks to be cleared on one individual problem um but to answer your question like what my what has my biggest challenge been in the industry is I think it's very fragmented I think it's very you know I uh, alluded to this earlier but there's a lot of like secrets in the industry like where are things coming from and people are really cagey about supply chain um I think people are again these are like nameless faceless corporations in many senses of the word so like you don't feel like you have a connection with the person. Like, I think that so many other brands and other spaces outside of science have been able to kind of be that trusted advisor. And I think procurement can, it it should be that. And for so many of our customers, like we're their first call and it's a really good feeling for them to like, hey, I have this problem and I can't find this thing. And if I don't find this thing, like we have all this production set up and this reaction is ready to happen. And like, if we don't get it by tomorrow at 5 a.m., like thousands of dollars will be lost and I feel like if you have someone to call and they can help you solve that problem that's a really good feeling but I don't really feel like that exists in an accessible way in this industry it's kind of like you're left to fend for yourself and also that nobody's taking care of you because again like I don't understand why but I I really feel like people don't feel like researchers deserve that level of care and del- deserve that level of, t- of attention and to your point live like people are spending five or six years of their life solving a problem that might save even just one person's life and that needs to be celebrated like these are unsung heroes who are like working in basements with no windows <laughs> and bad lighting and like nobody is picking up the phone so I think that's the biggest challenge is that the industry just doesn't know what it means to treat a customer.
1: Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you.
2: Yeah, well, I don't know. I just feel like people are doing such great work and and it should be noticed.
0: Yeah. I mean it really sounds like there's a a big need that you are filling with or that Ken Impacts is filling here and providing that extra level of support in what from my experience, both talking to Liv and and her colleagues is like a pretty isolating experience at times where you are in a basement, no windows, toiling away for years, months to years, trying to solve one thing. Just to have somebody along the way, a friendly face that is like warm, just to have some warmth in in your life, I'm sure is like just sunshine on a rainy day.
2: Yeah, I know. I love that you, I think the word that you use is so apt like isolating like it does feel like you're on this journey alone um then you shouldn't ever have to feel that way right like you should feel like you have this community um of people supporting you and your work and um who at least are recognizing you as a human being like I feel like that's not even happening in our industry it's like again just so sterile um but Lev I don't know how if you feel like that is true to your experience
1: it, it, it honestly, and this is not because of anyone in my particular, you know, research group or my PI, they're actually all, I'm very lucky that I have wonderful people that I surround myself with, but just kind of inherently the PhD is kind of isolating, right? Like I, I might collaborate with a lab mate here and there and my PI is wonderful and gives me a lot of feedback, but at the end of the day, it's kind of, you know, my work and my, it is my okay. job to just get this done and to, to do this kind of mostly on my own and have that ownership of the project, which I'm sure once it's done, it'll feel really rewarding but it's just inherently structured to be very, very isolating. So um, it's really exciting to see that there's kind of little steps being made in the right direction of kind of opening up the doors of science and encouraging not just collaboration for the sake of progress, but kind of community for the sake of progress. I think collaboration and community are a little bit different and kind of providing that warmth and that true relationship between the different players involved in science is really important. Not something that we think about a lot, Because honestly, even in my lifetime, collaboration has been become so much more important. Yeah,
2: well, actually, I actually think it's really interesting because I actually think that there is this sense of community in at the lab level, like that nucleus yep. level that exists. But who are all the people surrounding you all? And I think that is the group that needs to be um, needs to be strengthened.
1: I agree, and um, it's really exciting that that ChemEx is is making that change drew uh
0: yeah just to keep on the chempex uh train here we're you know we love to think about the future on this podcast and think about yeah. what's next what's on the horizon so what is next for chem do you have any exciting projects or partnerships coming up that you have the ability to share
2: yeah well you know one of the things that's next in our business is you know, we're a second generation family business. So we're going through a transition of my father and the founder. And what does that mean to transition to a, you know, a second generation of his children and me and my sister um, running the business. And with that, you know, I get a lot of questions on when are you going to sell your business? And when are you going to, like what's your exit strategy? And I would say the one thing that's not part of our plan is to sell our business. I think, again, like we really feel like we're already have the best job in the world like why would i ever try to get another job but more than anything i think once you sell your business you really disincentivize um you disincentivize taking care of the customer because what you end up caring about is increasing your own profitability which often means decreasing your cost of goods so lower cost of goods or increasing your price of your product which means there's higher margin but not great for your customer and that is not what we're about. So when I think about what's on the horizon for us, it's actually a lot of internal work for us to really redefine who we are in this next generation of our business and to think about how do we continue to put the customer first as we do grow and evolve, but in a way that is still allowing us to be nimble and flexible. Um, of course, we're p- always part of um new research that's coming out and it's always just like something that we're continuing to move forward on but when i think about like for us as a company and this is kind of i guess like a behind the scenes of a business like that's probably what our biggest internal challenge is going to be
1: what an exciting time though i think every time you know there change always kind of welcomes some level of uncertainty i'm sure but this opportunity for the next big thing to happen, kind of the next, the next era, the next phase of your of your business, and you do so much. As the the bio, you know, we read uh, at the start of the episode, um, there's so much that you're juggling already, and you're taking on kind of this, you know, increased. Uh, you're kind of like stepping up, right, as this, as this new generation of your family's business. How do you manage your roles as you know a businesswoman, a professor at Chicago's booth, or at you Chicago's booth rather? Um, a polsky mentor um and what advice do you have for someone who's trying to kind of walk in your footsteps one day
2: yeah and i also like am a mom so i have a 5 year old um so that
1: before, in of itself is a full time job.
2: job yeah um i don't think of any of those things as jobs to be honest like i would do any i mean i would do any of them at night or weekend you know i i like again i yeah i wake up excited about these challenges and i feel like um again like I think like finding that core value that speaks to you really makes it feel like it's more possible to do anything that all the things all the things but um I also think the biggest thing is I have a really good I have a really good community of friends and also family I mean my older sister is also an entrepreneur and she says similar to you know the world of science it, it is very isolating and you don't have other people who not necessarily know how to to empathize with you. And, you know, there's that saying, like, heavy is the head that wears the crown. You know, once you're put in these positions of power or decision making, it can become even more isolating. And I think my biggest sounding board is my older sister and my twin sister. I mean, we are just so in sync and i talk to her every single day she lives in los angeles her she's a skincare line which i'm gonna plug called ronavotte um it's the first south asian um, beauty line in sephora all sephora stores and um it is also science backed. but um the thing i like about yeah just, well just again <laughs> like just so many ways to apply science of course it's it's everywhere um but i i was into like having her as a sounding board to say hey like how do you think I should deal with this challenge, or what do you think about this? And also, like, hey, my five-year-old is having a temper tantrum. I'm like, how did you deal with this when <laughs> your kid was doing that? You know, so it's like, I, I just feel like I think my sisters are the people who give me the power to feel like anything is possible, and also um, the strength to know that like I can, I can do it.
1: I think it kind of really, I think the theme of the episode has really sort of been the power of community, whether it's community with the people you're working with, or the people that, you know, who were born into your lives. So whether we choose our community, or kind of are born into them, it's so important that we have them.
2: Well, it's really interesting, because I think those are the people who bring out what you already have in you. and. I think the hardest part is sometimes we don't see and I said this earlier, like, you know, you don't see the thing that's closest to you. So you might not know what your own personal superpower is, or you might not know that you even have the strength to do whatever that thing is, but other people see it in you. And like if if you have a really good sounding board and you can, you know, reflect with them and, and you know, um, have someone say something to you, it's so much more believable. Whereas if I were going to say something to myself, I'm, it's, I'm not going to believe it. But if someone says it to me, I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I can do it. So I feel like just having, having that support system, you're right. I think that's, it's been, yeah. Life-changing.
1: And I'm for that reason, very grateful to have drew in my life. So oh, stop it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so excited and, and grateful. Mm-hmm. That we will have this conversation today, Jamie, we learned so much about you, your family and kind of the power of community and science. Um, So thank you so much for being on the show today and best of luck to your family in this exciting time.
2: Thank you. And I mean, of course, best of luck to both of you guys and all the work that you do and, you know, keep fighting the good fight. Thank
0: you. Well, that's all for this month's episode and our fourth season. You can follow us on Instagram at Science and Society to catch our new releases, upcoming topics, and our science shenanigans.
1: If you're enjoying our show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to help more people find science in society. Thank you for joining us for another exciting season of the show.
0: And for a final time this season, peace, love, and science.